Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on this, the 11th episode of the Living the Grace Life podcast today. As always, I'm your host, Jim Hobbs, and along with studio director Wayne Delaire and lead pastor of Grace Life Church in Sarasota, Florida, man of the street. <laughs> From Jim. our last podcast, yes, I'm a man of the street. We actually had someone, they were like, a man of the street. Uh-huh. It's got a nice ring to it. Right. But no one's quite sure. <laughs> sure what it means i'm sure you what? know well i look i had looked up urban well, dictionary because well, i wasn't sure exactly what it meant but it, when i looked it up it said not a man of the people so i didn't know. it did not say that <laughs> what did it say what did it say what did what? it say it said a man of the street someone who knows here hold on where is someone who is aware of their surroundings someone who is tough mm-hmm. so that someone who is basically able to discern what's real and what's not See, a that, man a real man i am a man of the street all those did someone descriptions, give you that time or did you know i've self-titled myself man of the street but i also <laughs> am jim i am a man of the people a hundred percent but how do you you can't be both why can't you, I be both? Don't be saddling that's me like, that, with your legalistic definitions. Those are two. Different, How is that the grace life? Those Jim? are two. It, it, that's like a, what do they call that? Idioms? Are you, they're antonyms. You can't be both. Yes, you be, can. You're either Paul. Paul, Paul said, was, "I can be all things to all men, that I might by some means save them all." That's what Paul said. Maybe not exact quote. He was a but man of the people. Enough. He wasn't a man of the street. Oh, listen, just like me. Paul was out there fighting for his meals, Jim. He was a man of the street. Well, there are plenty of men in the street right now for our next segment. Joe, we've got on the line here the senior pastor of the American Church in Paris and one of the guys that's brought in all kinds of joy into my life. When we're talking about Philippians <coughs> and talking about bringing the joy, this guy brought it for me. So, Scott, uh, welcome to the podcast here, Living the Grace Life all the way from Sarasota, Florida to Paris. How are you? Hey, it's great to be on the show with you guys. Joe, thanks for welcoming me. Jim, it's good to hear your voice again. We used to do this on the radio at ACP Today. Faith we Talk did. Paris. Scott, I just want you to know, I have heard so much about you from Jim, and some of it was really good. So it's good to have yeah. you with us today. I'm sure that was actually from somebody else. Joe. The good There's part a lot anyway. of Scots yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, may not necessarily have been this. And likewise, Joe, I've heard a lot of good things about you. Actually, from air. Jim. Yes. So. That's great. He has to watch that. But yeah, no, I just thought, Scott, you would really help. We've had some listener questions about this verse here that Paul talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I know me and you have kind yeah. of batted this around here recently, and we. We talked a little last episode about the people that are intimidated maybe by the word fear. It really means awe. You should be sort of under the amazingness of God and the joy that he's bringing to you. But then it also goes on to talk about both to will and to work for his good pleasure, not for your own. So some people were confused. Wait, I'm supposed to work out my salvation only for him? So yeah, we just wanted to, because Philippians is full of joy, and uh, since you are my... 
my J yeah. bro, my joy brother in life. I thought this would be perfect for you to share. What What is your thinking when you hear this saying, work out your salvation with fear well, and trembling? Yeah, first of all, I, I've just come from a Taze service where I was just spending some good time in silence trying to just listen mm. to God speak to me about this because I knew I was going to be coming on the show. And it's like, what can I share, you know, that's helpful to people? I mean, we all have good commentaries. There's a lot of greater, much better scholars that can probably give better answers. But from my heart, you know, as I was reflecting on this tonight, it's, first of all, the, 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 the you here is in the plural. So it's not you personally, but you all. And that, that's an interesting, just, mm. you know, dimension of this verse that you're, you're supposed to work this out as a community. That's not something you can ever do on your own. I would also think that, you know, it's good to remember that our salvation is, the, the reason we have joy, it's, it's been done for us. We talk about what Christ has done that we could not do for ourselves, and that he's, he's our Savior. It's not like he asks us for help. Right. It's actually been accomplished. He said on the cross, it is finished. It's done. What, what has needed to be done, what these people could not do for themselves, has been accomplished. It's a perfect sacrifice. It's done. It's complete. And so it is a you know, it is a kind of a, a good question that, well, then what does it mean to work it out? And I think it's like taking yeast and working it out into the dough. You know, what, what people have talked about the Holy Spirit, if you can confess Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord, then the Holy Spirit is at work in you. The question is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Ah. It's not whether you have the Holy Spirit. So it's not whether you have salvation if you're a confessing believer, it's how much of you have you allowed God to work out in your life? You know, how much of that right. salvation? Yeah, it's almost getting out. out of the way to mm-hmm. let God and Christ do what he needs to do. And it was interesting, an episode before that one, one of the big points I was talking about, and I got some blowback from some listeners, you were being pretty adamant. And, you know, I get that way sometimes. I said, but I felt like if somebody believes they can live the grace life alone, they are delusional. And uh, what you said originally, when you talked about the, you know, the plural part of this passage, you all work out your salvation. It is impossible for us to understand what it means to work out our salvation with awe and reverence and respect for Christ who has done this work. What you said also lines up with Ephesians 2. We were dead. He made us alive. He gave, oh, us, yeah. he gave us the gift of faith and he prepared us for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we trip over is really what the passage says. <laughs> He's done the work. Yeah. I think what you said, I resonate with 100%, and it's really good. Well, you know, and the other thing is, it's really important is that this fear and trembling, this uh, phobo, kaitromo in, in the Greek, you know, it's not a, I mean, we all have fears, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we're, we're going to be honest here. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm afraid for all kinds of things, you know, um, and we can go down the list in our own lives. So the, the question is, what is, what is really going to motivate us to to change and embrace the fullness of the gospel in our lives and to really be set free completely as, as Christ has, has ordained for us Mm. as as believers. And, and so are we going to, you know, what's going to be the ultimate source of motivation? I think what Paul's getting at is here, he wants us to have fear and and reverence for, for Christ. And, and that, in that sense that you said, uh, Jim earlier, awe, you know, that we actually take what happened, um, 2,000 years ago that w- was accomplished for us on the cross, that this is, this is really what is, that's the ultimate experience of all of creation, what happened 2,000 years ago. It's, 
it's been accomplished for us in, in such a dramatic way, and we, we need to put that first and foremost in our, in our hearts and our minds um, so that we're not afraid of anything else. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's so, uh, you just put it away that made me think. So fear, I've always thought, well, they don't mean fear here. They're really talking about, like we're saying, awe on this. And, and yes, they are. But then you said it so right. The fears that we have, like I would have thought just even 18 months ago that I didn't have very many fears at all. I would have told, if you would have told me, what are you afraid of? I would have said, uh, you know, I'm really not, I'm really not sure I'm afraid of anything. I go do all these things, you know, recklessly. And I, I like, I don't have that until I started the 12 steps. And I started this about eight months ago and I get to step four, which is take this moral inventory this of yourself. Inventory. Oh my gosh. It's cr- it, the craziest thing came out of it. Mm. And, you know, you start writing down things you've done, but it doesn't become sort of a checklist of bad things. I realized I was afraid and I lived my whole life in fear. And I tried Ooh. to figure out what was I afraid of? And what I figured out was I was afraid of life. Well, you know, it t- I was afraid I, of coping with life. To add on to that, I didn't realize how many things I was afraid of until I became a pastor. Mm. And as a, oh my Scott, gosh. Yeah, Joe. I, God, I know you. I know you can relate to this. Not only are you afraid, man, am I going to fail these people? Am I? Am I handling the word of God right? But then you start thinking about the people you're trying to shepherd. Man, how hard is the enemy going to come after these people? And then you start seeing it coming in their life, and you're thinking, man, I hope they can handle it. I hope we can mm-hmm. be there for them to shepherd them through it and to love them. And so suddenly, as a pastor, yeah. I'm filled with fears. And so I have learned that the only way to properly deal with those fears, first of all. Like you, like you said, Jim, before you wouldn't recognize it. I would have said none. Acknowledge it. But then this is why it's important. This is why uh, Reformed theology is so important to me. The only way to live outside of the, of the negative impacts of those fears is to embrace a sovereign God who's in charge of other people's salvation as well as your own. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul loved the Philippians so much. And and his trust in God doing a good work in them goes all the way through the whole book. His affection for them is not Mm. just because they were obedient, but because God had made absolutely clear he had saved them, was working in them and transforming them. And I think of anybody facing fears, it's Paul. He doesn't think he's going to live through this imprisonment that he's in. Like he thinks, look, guys, this might be the end. But I want you to know, you continue to work out your salvation with awe and reverence and being impressed by what Christ has done for you, because that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, that's, yeah, that's great. That's good. No, I, I totally agree. That that uh, that last part that God's at work among you and in you is is hope for the community and it's hope for the world. You see, we talk about we're being saved from death and destruction and all the, the uh, consequences of sin. We're saved from that by what Christ has done for us that we, we could not do for ourselves. But he's also saved us for the kingdom purposes, the, the, the new creation that, that he's working out in and through us that includes all of creation, right? So it's, it's, this, it's mm. this huge project that, that we could never take on ourselves. So, I mean, to think mm. of it in a personal sense, it has a personal dimension, of course. And I think that's where, in some traditions right now, we're in the season of Lent, and we talk about spiritual disciplines, and you know, the, the prayer and the fasting and the, the reading of Scripture and, and serving others and engaging in, in acts of mercy and compassion. You know, what, different people have different things that they want to take on in this season. And that helps us to, I think, 
open ourselves up more to the presence of God that's in our lives. And what we're doing is opening ourselves up to be in the presence of the awesomeness of God and realize how great a God we really serve. Right. You know, when we live in fear of what other people think, of how we're doing, of whether we got it right, if we fear, I don't know, just all kinds of fears of our health, of, you know, there's a lot of things to be afraid of. But when we put the fear of God, you know, as, as we know that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom um, mm. and understanding that, that if we fear God rightly, and that means put Him first, and that we're going to be motivated by what God asks of us alone, then everything else falls into place. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing this in a new way now. It's almost like a harmonious way of getting into the flow of what God has and is and will be doing, not only in our life, but on a corporate sense in the entire community's life, and then witnessing it and going, oh my, what he has done, what mm-hmm. he is doing here. Not only can I not do it, I don't have to worry. Like, he, he's got, in fact, not only does he got this, he's he's covered it. Well, and I'll go a step further. Paul also communicates this concept again in Romans after he goes through this huge treatise about the sovereignty of God, mercy upon whom he will have mercy and hardens who he hardens and all this stuff in mm. five, six, seven, he says in Romans, I beg of you, therefore, brothers and sisters, because of the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living uh, sacrifice, uh, holy and acceptable, because it's the least you can do. It says reasonable service in some translations. He's really saying, after you look at all this and you're reading what I've said about God's sovereignty, mm, you have no mm. choice but to work out your salvation with awe and reverence and respect because what he's done, a great example. Back when I used to like the NBA before they changed all the rules and it became like tennis, <laughs> I used to love... I used to love watching the slam dunk competition with Jordan was in it back in the day. I would sit in awe and reverence of the way these guys would, you know, oh, these sure. dunks they oh, would come yeah. up with, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Dominique Wilkins. I mean, come on, right? Spud Webb. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, but think about it. I would say, man, that is amazing. And I would just have respect for what these guys could do on the court. Well, that's a small example of what Paul is talking about in Romans 12. Uh. For me, he's saying, look, I've just laid out for you a treatise that cannot be denied about God's sovereignty. And so for me, you're, there is only one reaction, response to this, Paul says, that it's acceptable. And that is you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And by the way, I told the Philippians the same thing. And I'm telling you, you need to present your body a living <laughs> sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's the least you can do. Uh, it's just, yeah, wow. Let me just say one last thing. I'll let you guys go here. But I I think it's it's interesting to, to think about and reflect on salvation. A lot of people think about salvation as eternal life, and, and I think that's true. But, you know, in, what is it, in John 17, you know, Jesus talks about, self, you know, eternal life is knowing knowing God. Mm-hmm. And it's a very present reality. And, and later on in, in Philippians, Paul's talking about how he considers everything, all of his credentials, all of his achievements, all of the, these mm-hmm. kind of a, a elite credentials that he brings to the table. He, he says, I, I count it as nothing. I count, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the goal. And I often think about, you know, working out my salvation as I, I want results. I want outcomes. And what mm. Paul's really saying is, you know what? It's not about, it's, mm. it's about deepening the relationship with Jesus. Come what may, no matter what happens, it's in the end, it's all about coming face to face with the one who loves you more than anything. 
And it's not about what, you know, we think about, we want results, we want, we want product, we want um, some kind of outcomes that, that we can control or we can achieve. And sure. what I think Paul's saying here right now is it's all about that relationship and that God's at work wanting to draw you closer into that love that we'll know fully one day face to face. But nothing is more important than the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what he sort of ends up with That's good in, this, in this train of thought, which I find really beautiful and really hopeful because I think maybe by God's work, uh, work within me, I can work that out. That's good stuff, Scott. I really appreciate you joining us today. It's been it's like awesome. a freedom and all of that, just yeah. to hear it that way. I hadn't it really, uh, to think we're watching it. It's unfolding before us. It is God's master plan, and we get the joy. He doesn't put the pressure on us. In fact, we feel weird when we don't take up the yoke ourselves and do it our and do it all on our own. Yeah. We feel like that's nah, that's too easy. But yeah. that's what he's telling us. He's the yeast is wor- is at work. Stay out of my mm. way. Let me get <laughs> watch it. Yeah, let it happen. Don't disrupt it. So. Hey Scott, is it is it true? Am I supposed to meet you in a couple weeks? Is that possible? Oh yeah, you guys are going to be in London. Yeah, I get to meet you in a couple weeks, Scott. We'll sit down and we'll talk Amazing. about Jim. Are you going to be in London? I'm going to. Oh got, my gosh. Yeah, that's, that's right. You overlap yeah. days. I think. Yeah, when we'll, we'll sit down and we'll talk about Jim. When you meet Joe, just tell me, Scott, is he a man of the street or not? I want to get your honest opinion. <laughs> well, I think I'll be hey, there I right can't when wait, Joe. I'll give you something to look forward to. Yeah. yeah, that would be, that's awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insights there. And uh, thank you guys for letting me share thank on you, the brother. show. Bless you, brother. Look forward to meeting you. Likewise. All right. See you in London, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. That was so cool, Joe, mm-hmm. to have Scott coming on here talking a lot. I, I, I hadn't really thought about what you said, Joe, on the sovereignty of God playing such a role in this. Because mm. you have here on page 54, <laughs> relentless affection is not derived from our own willpower, nor, it is, nor is it derived by big conference, listening to Christian music, all this other stuff. Paul talks about it where you said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, God's love, which never wavers in intensity, strength, or pace, is alive and at work in you. Hmm. I don't think that a lot of the time because I'm judging it from my own view. And I, I think I know that, but I don't, a lot of times I feel like I'm the one that's disconnected, like his constant stream of love I am coming and going from that myself, even though it's always there. You know, it's interesting because one of the things, like I've heard people pray that God's presence would fill this place or something like that. And it's just a, it's just not a good prayer because God's presence never wavers. Hmm. It never changes. Now, our awareness yes. of his presence goes up and down. So the real prayer should be, God, make us aware of your never changing presence. But, you know, the idea, God, we ask you to come in and visit us and fill this place. Well, that's kind of a redundant prayer. Pray for something else. He's already doing <laughs> He's that. He's there already. <clears throat> yeah, just do, yeah, right. pray for something different. And and so that's kind of what, when I, I think I said, um, big conferences and other things yeah. that's not where it comes from when they from. mention oh this that was so great because I, you could just feel, feel God's the presence, presence of God. as if he you know it was withholding what it, I really waiting mean, for the 8 p.m you know conference what feeling start. god's <laughs> presence means is i liked it that's what it means 
you know? <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, and that's where you get at, you said Paul taught many times that relentlessness is a key indicator on whether you can say you're a Christian. Galatians mm-hmm. 6, 9, and let us not grow <coughs> weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Mm-hmm. I think that to me is so powerful because if you don't feel the presence that really is there, that you're not feeling, but that's you, not him, you might give, like Paul's saying, that's okay not to feel it. Mm-hmm. Just don't give up. Yeah. Like how, how does some, how do you give someone that hope when they're not feeling it, I guess, becomes the question because in the Bible, the word hope sort of <laughs> in the Hebrew, I think means endurance. So you're, it doesn't mean you hope, oh, I hope this happens. Yeah. And it doesn't, like it means endure stay the course. I don't want to get too controversial in answering that question, but I will say this. When your relationship with God is founded upon your own free will, where, you know, the choice of God in your life is is yours, it's going to become a very unstable connection emotionally for you because if you believe that your connection with God is founded upon one day, you were just because of the circumstances in your intellect and your emotions, you were just smart enough to see, okay, I need God. Well, at that point, you could also come to a point in your life where you're not smart enough and your emotions aren't in tune and you don't have enough intellect to say, okay, well, I don't need him. But when you recognize that God's sovereign grace is in your life because he knew you before the foundation Mm. of the world, Mm. that begins to give you a feeling of, okay, how can I be relentless? How can I not give up? Well, the only way is if you recognize the only reason I'm not going to give up is because God said, what can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can nakedness and famine, the sword or peril. No, and all these things, he makes us more than conquerors, more than sustainers through him who loved us. Right. So I don't know if that answers your question directly, but I I just feel like that that's a key. It just adds to every, it, it, yeah, I don't see that as controversial. <laughs> I see it as that is the giving up. Because you say here, page 55, when God works in you, let him have his way with confidence And with great endurance, no matter what your age or emotional state. So the idea of God being allowed in, it's not, okay, today I'm thinking, and yeah, you know what? It is a good day for Christ. I I could, you know, that whole line of thinking you're saying, basically, God is the one who is there all the time. You're not letting him in. He hasn't gone anywhere. And then Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work Mm -hmm. for his good pleasure. So you not letting him in not only isn't for, it's no good for you, it's it's no good for him. That's right. He doesn't get the pleasure either, Mm -hmm. which really you're doing then a a total disservice. So the, (coughs) I love because you focus so much on this chapter four, the relentless nature of everything. And so you go into actually these four fruits of relentless love, which I thought were great. You have one, relentless motivation, two, relentless confidence, three, relentless commitment, and four, relentless <clears throat> sacrifice. You call these the, these are the fruits of relentless love. And and what do you mean, I guess, by that? These, this is what happened, like the fruit, this is like fruit of the spirit. This will be derived once you have put yourself <coughs> in the right position. What do you have to think about these things? Like how, mm-hmm. how do you 
How do you, this so, is the working out your salvation a little bit. I yeah. Think. So if you think about it, zoom out a little bit. These are all descriptions of Christ's love for us. Mm. Relentless motivation, even to the cross, he says, right? Yep. Relentless confidence. He knew, nevertheless, not your will, but mine, not, not my will, but your be done mm-hmm. when he was being tempted in the garden. You think about relentless commitment. You know, when you're on the cross and you can call angels to come and rescue you and you don't, you're committed. And then the relentless sacrifice, well, that speaks for itself, right? So what begins to happen is when God's sovereign grace has saved us and transformed us, the work out your salvation is simply this. This is what it really means. The love that Christ showed you, you begin to learn to express to others around you. So that relentlessness is merely, it is merely shadowing. It is merely reflecting the love that you've been given. And by osmosis, Uh. it begins to show the fruits of this relentless affection in the lives of others. Yeah, you're not, you're actually reflection. That's a great way to put it. You're reflecting Mm-hmm. Christ's love and God's glory in your life. And it's that way that people then know they, they'll see you or whatever. And then they'll say, you have this certain thing about like, <laughs> this certain peace or this certain. And we talked about intimacy and vulnerability, <coughs> authenticity, sacrificial love. But again, us talking about it and then trying to do it, it doesn't work. It's when we are reflecting what Christ has already done for us which means, like you said last podcast, nothing against spiritual disciplines. I no. thought this was great, but that's not gonna that's not gonna get it done. You know, last night <laughs> that was great. Tuesday night we have a Bible study called Deep End, and there's about twenty to thirty of us, and we get in there, and twice a month I lead it, and we just go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through books that are hard. Right now we're going through Leviticus, you know? So we were talking about Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 19 is just a list of things that God says to his people, I need you to be different from everyone around you. And here's what that's going to look like. And he he lays it all out. And at first, when you read Leviticus, it's intimidating. And then you flip over to Matthew 5 and really Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount Mm -hmm. is Leviticus on steroids. Love your neighbor as yourself and all these things. And Jesus says, look, if you're looking to Leviticus 19 to justify you, here's the actual standard. You have to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. Leviticus 19 starts off with be like God Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. God is perfect. Yeah. And so really what begins to happen is Jesus is saying you're no longer going to live by Leviticus 19. And then we went to James, but James teaches us if a man says he has faith and has not works. So we no longer live by Leviticus 19. We live in Leviticus 19. Yeah. And I remember one lady in our, in our group, her name is Susie. She's great. Susie says, you know, the farther along I get in my walk with Jesus, some of this stuff in Leviticus 19 that seems impossible almost becomes a piece of cake. It's well, like instinctive. Yeah. Yes. It's an instinctive thing. It's not religious effort. It is working out. She, what she was talking about is I can see God working out my salvation and I'm in awe of what he's done in my life because 20 years ago, I wouldn't have even looked at Leviticus 19. She goes, now I can see Leviticus 19 as an encouragement. Huh. And that's really what it means to, you know, the working out your salvation, the relentless affection, all of those things are a result of God's hand in our lives. And that is why Paul loved the Philippians so much. He is saying, Guys, I got to tell you, there is so much 
evidence that God has saved you that it just makes my heart jump with joy every time I think about you. So time to finish out chapter four, Joe. You've got on page 58, the devotional. I love these at the end. They kind of give us a chance. It's not like, because a conclusion will just sort of recap. You're actually sort of giving us then something that we can take away for ourselves that we now need to do to sort of not just reflect on what we've heard, to sort of institute it in our life. So you say here for the category devotional, loving others relentlessly. This is page actually here, 59. I pray that God gives us the evidence of our faith manifested in our relentless affection for one another. Without this relentless affection, we are just a group getting together for donuts and coffee on a Sunday Mm -hmm. morning. And that struck me because I think a, a lot of times that is what church is to people it's for them the community like it goes back to fear so there's and maybe i had this too which is funny because i I don't mind speaking in front of people that to me actually feels much more natural being around people i don't know and having to have donuts and coffee and small talk i can do it but it's uncomfortable for Mm -hmm. me to do and in that i think a lot of people say i don't like church because they don't like that so how crazy is that? Because the idea of what you're saying here in this devotional is you got to get over that, set aside the things that keep us from being relentless. If you're going to be relentless, you cannot think that is church. So how, how does a church in a way communicate? So on a devotional <coughs> level, we're kind of powerless to think about church in ways that maybe are embedded in our, you know, ah, I don't, those people, I don't like what they do. I don't like that whole setup. How do you tell someone who's wondering, well, how do I get into church? Like, well, hey, that's not church. Well, first of all, yeah, first of all, don't define church as it has been traditionally defined in America. Exactly. As Sunday morning. Grace Life is very unique. We have our Sunday morning experience, which is really good, you know, and Megan and the worship band right. and our team, the, the children's ministry, they're really good at all everything they do. But then we have Monday nights, Grace Life Recovery. That is a huge part of our church. We have Tuesday nights deep in, huge yeah. part. We have Thursday night, we do the food pantry where we feed like 400 people a week. All those are our church. It's not the church with these spindles. Right. The whole thing is the church. And so the first thing is broaden your definition of what the church is. Frankly, that's what Paul is doing in Philippians. It's important to be together, but at the same time, we need to look for places where we can be relentless with our affection with one another. Because in the end, what I write here is is the point that let us be encouraged by the evidence of our salvation for when we are relentless in loving one another. Yes, so. that's because if you think about this whole idea of living the grace life on Sunday from 10.30 to 11.30, it it ain't going to work. You so at, 10 o'clock to 11.30, 10, 10, 10, the, half an hour for You want those donuts. <laughs> yeah. You wrap it up here. Therefore, this is Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You don't run an hour every Sunday and get in shape. I always take the sort of, because you use the, if it's Romans 12 or 8, where it's the body is the holy temple. So the idea that if our body is truly the holy temple and we're going to run a race, this whole, this is a race. So we're in a race. If we are going to take that seriously, an hour a week is not going to do anyone any good. This grace life thing has got to an hour go a week, the distance. An hour a week is the antithesis of relentlessness. Exactly. That's a great way to put it, right? I mean, that's you have to go the distance. You're not living the grace life if it's an hour. What was the go the distance? Was that Field of Dreams? No. Go the distance. Wasn't that I, Kevin I, Costner? I remember a, a band called Cake has a song. Called Go the Distance? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Well, you're a man on the street. So that's what (laughs) what happens when you're you're like that. Well, that is our show for today. If you've got a question for us, just email us at livingthegracelifepodcast, livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. If we select it, you will be a winner and get a signed copy of Joe's book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. Next episode, we will do the workbook questions to chapter four. But for now, on behalf of Pastor Joe, the man of the street, studio (laughs) producer Wayne Dallaire, and the entire team at Jump Dog Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. See you next time. And remember, whatever you do each day, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.